Hello everyone and welcome to the Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon and today we have Phil Walter back on the show. He's been a guest on the Loopcast a few times and Phil and I have been talking about doing a show on post-traumatic stress disorder, also called PTSD, the acronym, and we've talked via email and messaging apps about getting this on the Loopcast and Phil wrote a great five-part series on his own experiences. It's quite personal, so um, I will definitely post a link to the series so that you as listeners can read it. And he looks at post-traumatic stress disorder as well as dealing with the aftermath, dealing with having gone through a traumatic experience. And as I was telling him before he started recording, I give him a lot of kudos because, as I said, it's a quite personal set of thoughts within this article. So first, welcome to the show again, Phil. It's great having you on. And, you know, I'm really excited to talk about this series and look at the topic in a greater picture. Thank you so much for having me on again, Chelsea. I'm uh, I'm really pleased to uh, talk about it. Um, writing the series was a real good experience for me, and I know a lot of people have uh, gotten a lot out of it. So I'm, uh, I'm all yours. Yay. Well, for our listeners that might not know of Phil or listen to the previous Loopcast he's been on, Phil has served in the military, the intelligence community, and the interagency. And just a little disclaimer, the views expressed here are those of the author alone and do not contain information of an official nature. So we're just getting that out there. So we're talking about PTSD and medically it tends to be associated with anyone that's gone through what we could consider a life-threatening event, something very traumatic. So why, Phil, is understanding PTSD so important to our society? So I, th- I th- uh, from my point of view, you know, it's not it, that the whole level of trauma is variable based upon the person. And if we want to have a successful society where we can all at least, uh, g- you know, get along with each other and kind of understand other people's point of views and and move forward and, you know, be kind to each other, um, being able to understand what, you know, what traumatic events somebody has gone through, um, why they considered those events to be traumatic, how those traumatic events continue to frame the person's worldview or tend to drive their behavior, um, whether the person is is conscious of that um, traumatic event as a driver or not. Um, I think it's I think as a society it's really important to understand. I think from a point of view of anyone who's deployed um, overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan or elsewhere, um, whether they be a military person or an aid worker or State Department or whatever, um, in general, I think when they when they go over there, they come back changed. Um, it may be in a minor way. It may be in a uh, major way. It depends. Everybody's individual experience kind of shapes them. And so... I don't think there should necessarily be any uh, um, uh, negative view on them for that. Um, it's just like any situation uh, that, that you go through in life, it has an impact on you. Uh, the key I th- for me is, and, and I think the key I try to write about is, you know, understand the impact and then uh, see how you can draw something positive from that impact. And um, your experiences don't always have to be the uh, definer of you uh, for uh, the future. 
And you really get that message strongly when reading your articles, especially the endings. And as we discussed before the recording, you were saying that you try to make the endings positive, which I really like because when you do look at this topic, it can get very heavy, very depressing, to be completely honest. Um, why don't you tell us about your background? I know, you, as we said in the introduction, you have a military background, a varied background. So give us a little idea of who Phil was before he came on the Loopcast. Yeah, so I, uh, I served in, as an enlisted uh, military member in the reserves. I served on active duty as a military officer. I later joined the reserves again um, as a reserve officer, but then was called to active duty, and then later on as a civilian uh, employee of an intelligence community element, um, I served as well. So as far as the all the things that I wrote about in all parts of the, of the war and the new normal series, uh, they all took place in during when I was in Iraq as a mobilized reservist or when I was in Afghanistan as a uh, civilian. And, you know, you have these pieces on Medium, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that, but as I said, we will post links to them with the show. And you have everything that, like I said, it's very personal. So why don't you first describe writing this series and why you wrote it there was there was a time and right before i wrote the first one where the the media i saw something in the media well generally when i write i see something going on and then i i have my own view on it and then whatever i want to write kind of bursts forth from me like an alien from my stomach in the film aliens that's just kind of my my uh, writing style something will happen and then suddenly i'll i'll produce a thousand words on it um so when i something had happened in the media and i and i remember becoming kind of fed up with the idea of um veterans are victims i i have really been disappointed consistently uh, my father was a vietnam veteran and i remember when i was a kid him always saying you know how come it's always rambo the screwed up veteran doing something how come it's not ever the veteran who came back and adjusted back to regular life and then got a job and got married and had a kid and was successful how, how come there's there's it doesn't seem like there's ever a positive uh, portrayal of the uh, veteran who went through traumatic experiences so i kind of felt the same way and i wanted to I wanted to get my experiences down on paper because eventually I'll get old and I'll forget them probably or the, forget the details of them. So I wanted to get them down somewhere so that my my kid could read about them someday. That was kind of point number one. And then point number two was I wanted to demystify the idea that that veterans are victims and we, you know, oh, poor us. We went overseas and we did something and now we're just broken for life and everybody needs to feel sorry for us and um, – I'm I'm am f- fortunate because, I, you know, I I did my time overseas. Uh, it was not anywhere near the length of time that many others did. I know multiple units who did 12 months, nine months, 15 months. You know, two or three times. That was definitely not me, not with the organizations that I worked for at the time. But but I just wanted, in general, to you know basically put a big banner up wherever I could that says, okay, I went somewhere something happened I my life afterward has been shaped by it 
and that's okay and that's okay that's fine um and i wanted to kind of not only you know put myself out there and say you know as a scientific sample of one person these are my experiences but i have done my best to use them to move forward in a positive manner throughout the rest of my life and also because blogging is and writing is becoming more popular i wanted if i could try to inspire others to write about their experiences so kind of collectively there is a body of work that is not necessarily something you know published in a book or something that's gone through you know a bunch of editors or reinterpretations it's just kind of you know a a raw look at what some of us went through what some of us how we adjusted and so that would be available kind of to serve um, others in the future where there's somebody somewhere going, well, I don't know if I want to join and I don't know what I want to do. And, you know, maybe someday somebody will come across the works that I did and they can see how, you know, one person's experiences affected one person and then see how um, others ha- have been affected as well. Because at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the things we do in the long term do change us, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But, the, you know, for me, the key is to take those experiences and move forward in a positive way. And you define those experiences. Don't let those experiences define you. And see right there, I think that's a fantastic message because, as you said, there is the stigma of veterans having that victimized stigma around them. and And it's sad because you as veterans and, and other veterans, you, you go over to these countries and, you know, you serve our country, you protect people and so forth. And it's really sad to see this idea of someone coming home that has had traumatic experiences, which when you have a traumatic experience, it is going to affect you. It potentially will stay with you depending on the level of the experience and how you react to it. But, you know, the idea of having this victim tag on you for the rest of your life is is really just depressing and it's it's not i don't know i don't think it gives the honor of what a veteran or anyone that's gone through an experience really deserves that victimhood is not a good a good thing that you want to carry around on your back forever no i i agree and and what the the part that scares me the most about that about that whole kind of um, idea is I really don't want someone who doesn't think of themselves that way to get out of the military or whatever organization they're in where they deployed and then have society treat them with kid gloves and then they adopt it well if everybody thinks I'm screwed up then I really must be screwed up it's like no that's that's not it at all um, you know you went somewhere you did something something happened to you that's okay and now you have to you kind of have that you know f- fork in the road. What am I going to do with this experience? Am I going to um, let it negatively affect me? Am I going to turn it into something positive? And it's not. And the the big friction point too is there's never a point where you're done with it. There's never a point where you're like, okay, I've got that bad thing in my brain gone forever. That doesn't happen. This this whole trying to you know, this this fork in the road idea of the fork to the left is turning my experiences into something good and the fork to the right is turning my experiences into something bad. That's uh, that's not a one-time thing. That's consistent. And some people can take, you know, a, an experience they had and one day they can turn it into something good and one day they can turn it into something bad. And 
and every day it's 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 all about the choices that you make afterward and the goal is to kind of consistently make the good choice consistently go down that fork in the road you're going to have times where you go down the other fork and when you go down the bad fork in the road it may be something super minor that only affects you like i felt bad about something i saw on the news that then took me back to a time when i was overseas so i went in the gym and i deadlifted way too much and now my hamstrings are killing me <laughs> you know or it can be you know that same stimulus but somebody goes to the bar drinks their face off and gets a you know gets into a car wreck exactly. and uh it gets put in jail so so the the idea of that kind of you know experience pushing you towards this decision point is something that's going to stick with most of us, I would think, for the rest of our lives. And the point you made, since we're getting very personal on the show, the I, the concept of having an event that sticks with you for the rest of your life, and it doesn't just go away no matter how much you face it head on, how much therapy you go through, whatever the means are that you've tried to work through that, if you have. And, and personally, when I was younger, I had a very traumatic experience that... Yes, I'm not a veteran. However, it was a life-threatening experience on a commercial flight, and it's always stuck with me. It was a very horrible experience, um, something you just don't want to ever have to go through in your life. And, you know, I did work through it a lot with people that knew how to deal with aviation accidents and so forth, yet even having gone through that and knowing the tools of how to disassociate yourself when there's sounds or smells that bring back horrible memories um or even sometimes just seeing a plane can just raise my blood pressure um you know it still sticks with you and every single time i need to fly somewhere which i do fly i decided the best way to deal with my fear after having a a couple years where I didn't get near an airplane, but the best way of dealing with that fear was, for me at least, facing it head on after having some tools by professionals that helped me disassociate myself with the past versus the present and so forth. But like you said, it's it's an constant battle, I guess. That's the best way of describing it. And it's constantly having to put yourself in a frame of mind that you don't go back to that experience that brings trauma to you and that actually can come back in a huge wave and sort of attack you in real life. Yeah, and the and the stimulus that causes, you know, you to think of previous events is kind of random. Um and and in my case I'll be quite honest, none of this, none of anything that I talked about in any part of of the series bothered me at all until my wife and I had our kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't, there was not anything at all. But then when I had my kid and I'm holding the newborn and, and you suddenly realize kind of how fragile human life really is for me, I realized the value of time and I didn't necessarily want to deploy anymore. If I could find a new job, I wanted to be at home with my kid. Um, there was just, there was a lot of things that, that, suddenly hit home to me once we had our kid and uh that has really been the uh kind of the 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 driving force to bring all these things that i talked about and wore on the new normal uh to the surface and see that's a that's a fantastic reason to you're 
your child is one of the most important creations and, and jobs in your life, so I can understand that. And I mean, when looking at PTSD, I guess at the starting of the show, we should have mentioned some of the, cons- uh, the ideas and concepts of what symptoms of PTSD, or even, even if you're not diagnosed with PTSD, these are symptoms that if you've had a traumatic experience, you can experience again. And like I mentioned, it's the idea of like maybe reliving an event or re-experiencing symptoms. I guess that's the technical term they call it. Uh, avoiding situations that remind you of that specific event. Some people feel numb. Some people feel keyed up or hyper arousal. That's another term for that. And, you know, there's different coping mecha- mechanisms that come into that, whether, as you said, it's it's some people fight, some people drink. Unfortunately, some people might use drugs. And some people just might not have any actual physical attributes, but they might actually have personal feelings of guilt or hopelessness. Um, so there's a lot of different ways this can affect someone. And, and it's really can take over your life if you allow it or if you don't have tools to get past it or a good support system. And I want to know that when you wrote this five-part series, War and the New Normal, was writing a sort of therapy for you at all? Oh, yeah. It, uh, it most definitely was. It was it was it was very enjoyable writing it and getting it down on paper and trying to uh, capture kind of the essence of exactly how I was feeling in each of the parts. Um, it it was good. It, it it felt good to write it. It felt good to get it out there. I enjoyed putting it in the public eye, um, and, and and also it's one of those things where you know when I write when I write articles that are about national security related issues. You know, I get, I get nervous cause I'm always making sure I have good references and good footnotes and oh my gosh, will the editors like it? Is my idea totally right or totally wrong? How's it going to be interpreted? When I wrote this five part series, because it's purely me and how I feel, it was very enjoyable. It was low stress cause there's no, you know, there's no footnotes. There's no research. I was there. This is what happened. This is how I feel. Um, and so it was, it was very good to just, you know, get that out there in the public domain, um, share my experiences, share what has worked for me, um, and hoping that it can be of use to, uh, to others in some way. And why don't you share some of your experiences for our listeners that might not have read this series and hopefully they'll go and read it afterwards, but describe some of your experiences that, got you to writing this set of wonderful articles <laughs> yeah so in uh in part one i basically talk about how when i was in afghanistan i used to wear my cell phone on my hip and uh that was kind of my lifeline and there was actually a time where some bad stuff was about to happen and my cell phone i believe to this day probably saved my life and years later, when I got home, I could not take my cell phone off of my belt. In fact, there's a, there's a funny photo of us setting up um, on the day I got m- married. 
and there's a picture of me reaching up to hang something up and you can see my cell phone hanging on my hip and everybody <laughs> always says, why do you have your cell phone? You're getting m- m- married that day. And I always used to just laugh it off. Well, I just felt like ha- having it on that day, you know, just in case. But it was years afterwards until I could ride in a car and take my cell phone off of uh, off of my hip. It took me a long time because at the end of the day, I still had this thing weaved into my brain of like, that's going to save your life. If you take it off of your belt, you won't be able to save your life. Um, and then in, uh, in, in, in part two, I kind of, I kind of talked through, um, a close call that I had, um, when I was deployed. And then later when I was feeding my kid one time, um, I kind of thought about it. And then I, and then based upon that, I, I realized, Hey, I I need to find a new job because I don't want to deploy anymore. And my wife, um, God bless her. She said to me, she said, you know, Phil, I love you. And if you, you know, if you want a new job, that's great. But I feel like, uh, this is her talking. She said, I feel like if you don't deploy, you won't feel normal. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I know, but I gotta, I gotta find a new way. And, uh, so I kind of talk about that in, uh, in part two. And then in part three, I kind of articulate an experience I had in Afghanistan where I felt very um, motivated to serve. And then how eight years later, when I see kind of bad things on my uh, on the news and on the Twitter feed, how I kind of get torn and and feel emotionally um, uh, torn because there's kind of idealist Phil on one shoulder and idealist Phil was the guy who wanted to you know, deploy forever and save the world. And uh, neo-isolationist Phil is on my other shoulder who's, you know, you know, whispering in my ear, we shouldn't do anything. It's a quagmire. You're just going to waste blood and treasure. And I think that's that's something that veterans, you know, a lot of my friends who are veterans struggle with a lot as we uh, as we see world events. Uh, in part four, I tell... I tell a story about one time I, the forward operating base I was at got rocketed and uh, we had kind of been warned that it would get rocketed and uh, people went into the bunker and every time a rocket hit they would count like the count on Sesame Street so there'd be this whoosh and this boom and then somebody would yell one ah 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 and I was actually on the phone with my then girlfriend, who was later my wife, currently is my wife, and uh, and she thought it was really funny. And then my my uh, my kid always laughs, always wonders why I smile so big whenever I read Sesame Street books with the count, uh, the count in it as a character. And then, and then part five, which which I just recently published uh, this month on the 11th of August, I kind of walk through. Um, after I got out of that, you know, deployment lifestyle, kind of all the, all the hobbies that I undertook, trying to kind of replicate the challenge of deployment, which included boxing and powerlifting and uh, grappling and and other things, and trying to, um, you know, find an outlet for whatever it was that I uh, had inside of me that really needed to be pushed. And, uh, and have a struggle of some kind. And one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier on was when your wife said that if you weren't deployed, you wouldn't feel normal. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a bit because I've heard this 
comment before from other families that have people in the military. And is it just the fact that you've been deployed so much that that is the normal for you? Uh, describe that a bit. Um, from my point of view, and there's many different points of view on this, from, from my point of view, it is the idea that when I'm overseas, all I have to do is get up in the morning, do my job, and not get killed, and then go to bed, and then do the same thing the next day. When I'm at home in the United States, I have to worry about car insurance, condo fees, vehicle inspections, you know, every every nitnoid thing that is required to live in the uh, in the United States. And so it becomes one of these things where um, where when you're deployed, there's this there's this purity of action. You know, there's me and my friends versus the bad guy and his friends. And that's it. I don't have to worry about anything else. You live on in an environment where you have a lot of camaraderie. You have a lot of purpose. Um, you're kind of all in it uh, together, and that uh, you feel real good when you're doing that. You have a really high level sense of purpose, and then you come back, and um, you kind of feel once you're back in the states like maybe you don't have the same purpose. Um, you feel as though you know things are very complicated and they don't need to be. Like, why is everybody worrying about this? Like, if no one's bleeding, you shouldn't be worrying about it, you know. Or, or somebody will try to say, tell you something, and you will, you know, in your brain be thinking to yourselves, if it doesn't require a tourniquet, it's not a problem. And then so sometimes, you know, maybe you'll make a mistake and you'll say that, and somebody will get really insulted, you know. Um, so. There's uh, to me, there's this simplicity and purity, and there's a guy named uh, uh, I'm gonna probably mispronounce his name, uh, Morihai Yushiba, who is one of the, is the inventor of Aikido, and he had this quote, you know, when a when a warrior confronts a foe, all things come into focus, and so I think that that a lot of people who deploy they experience that and they enjoy that and they don't want to let it go and so because it's it's experienced at such a high level of intensity it can become like a you know like a drug or it can give a drug like effect of some kind and um and people come to prefer that simplicity kind of almost uh monastic lifestyle of me and my gear and my friends versus the enemy um, and that and the, and they 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 prefer that so um, and it's hard to kind of break that chain and everybody has to work through breaking that chain in their own way I find it fascinating how at the starting you described that was the normal for you and potentially other people where the normal of say us here in the western world of like you said, mortgage payments and car payments and car checkups and taking the kids to school and walking the dog and whatever your life is, you know, for many people, that's the normal. And the normal you just described is like something out of a, a story book that you might read or a movie. It's not the normal for a lot of people. So that's really interesting to see that, you know, everybody's life's, their definition of normal can be very different from, say, the guy sitting next to you on a train. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, and I I have a pair. I actually have a 
a picture here at home of of me for, and it's just me from the waist down and I have this pair of cargo pants that I used to wear when I was deployed and in the right pocket of the cargo pants is a child's sippy cup full of uh, milk and I always look at that photo and smile because the things I used to carry in that pocket were definitely not a child's sippy cup full of milk um, above the pocket flap on that pocket I used to always have a tourniquet um, wrapped loosely around my uh, around my legs, so that if I got hurt, I could just tighten it, and I didn't have to go through my bag to try to find it. Um, and in the pocket, I used to have either a bandage or a or a flashbang grenade of some kind, distraction device. Um, and and so I always look at that picture, and I kind of smile in my soul because I I know what I used to carry in that pocket, and I know what I usually carry in that pocket now. And uh, at the time I was deployed you know that was the best thing for me in my life it was the it was the place i should have been but now years later having the sippy cup full of milk in that po- pocket is exactly where i need to be now um, my my father has this great quote where he says you know a man is every man he ever was and uh, i'm a big believer in that another thing you mentioned before this last question was the cell phone and that huge step of taking it off your body and potentially plugging it in to charge but not having it on you 24-7 as that lifeline. And personally, and, and hearing your experiences, hearing other people's experiences, I almost feel like when you go through a traumatic event or a life-changing event, you tend to have certain little things like that, which some people might even call a superstition because you know you're back out of a war zone and you know that cell phone doesn't have to be on your body 24 7 however still there's that little voice inside of you that says yes you need it because if you don't that's going to be the moment when something happens and and for me my little weird thing for a while which i'm trying to stop is is the the tray tables on the airplanes and the seats in front and for some reason the little lock that um keeps it from coming down I have this weird superstition of always straightening it. Don't ask me why, but that's like my weird yeah. thing of if this thing is straight, then everything's good in the universe. But yeah. it's that interesting, like, what are your thoughts on that? That idea of almost superstitions that get attached to having experiences that are traumatic in the past in your life. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, to me, I think that, you know, whether they are real or not, if you have the perception of it, then it's real. You know, it's as real as it needs to be. I think the key is when those when those superstitions start negatively affecting your life or negatively affecting other people's lives, um, that's when there can be a problem. But no, I, I, you know, have definitely worked with with people who had, you know, a G.I. Joe figure they would carry in their pocket on an operation or um, they would, um, you know, pack their gear a certain way or um, listen to a certain song. Uh, lots of folks had their, you know, that had their headphones in and there was a certain, you know, series of, of songs they would listen to as they were preparing to go off the, off, off the fob and, and do their thing. And, and, you know, it's a very, very personal thing and whatever it takes to kind of um, get, I want to say, um, get your bravery up or get your mind in the right frame where it needs to be to execute whatever you need to do, then, uh, then that's just, that's what you're going to do. Exactly. 
one thing I want to ask you about, because you mentioned it in this series, and you mentioned the book The Road Back by Eric, I think it's Marina, that's how it looks like it's spelled, so I'm going to just say Marina. And I was wondering if you could describe this book, because you mentioned that it's very important and very important for your steps forward um, and moving forward in your life after experiencing something traumatic or a number of traumatic things. Yeah, so The Road Back was written by Eric Maria, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Remarque, <laughs> Remarqua, um, and he also wrote the book uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. And so this is supposed to be kind of a pseudo part two where it, it, it chronicles people who survived World War I on the German side and then they're trying to readjust to society. And the reason it's the reason I love it, it's such a good book, is it, everything that every character goes through is very, very timeless. And every, I would suggest that everything, every character in the book kind of has their own struggle. And I can almost name somebody who's had that exact same struggle today. And there's a really interesting part of the book, a part that I absolutely love, where of the group of friends in the book, there was one of the friends who didn't really like being in the army, didn't really like being in the war, and was kind of the last person that you would ever think would stay in the army as a career. Then about halfway or three quarters of the way through the book, the group of friends are hanging out, and that character shows back up dressed in full army uniform, having re-enlisted to stay in. And he says, you know, I just, you know, I like being in the army better than I do being in the civilian world. So it was just, you know, and I have friends who, you know, got out, had a few years out and then said, you know, I want to go back in. And they got back in and they stayed in. Um, and so it's just it's neat to see the the timelessness of the characters in that book, what they struggle with, you know, and and to see that. And, and it reinforces to people today that you are not the only person this kind of thing has happened to. And, and it really goes a long way, in my opinion, to destigmatizing, demystifying everything that people struggle with when they come back from uh, wartime experiences. In part four of this series, you write, and I'm going to quote you because I thought this was a really great sentence, and, and I'd love you to elaborate on it after I quote you. You say, though it can be challenging, whenever you can, try to rebrand reimagine, redefine those wartime experiences and use them for good. So I'm going to hand it over to you because that's a really powerful set of words. Thank you. The, uh, I try to end every one of the parts with, with the, with a kind of encouraging note, you know, if we just wrote about, and then I was there and this happened and occasionally I think about it and I feel bad. I don't think that helps, um, the reader, I don't think it helps me as an author. And so what I kind of want to encourage people to do is, you know, if if you can, take control of those experiences. Um, use them to drive you towards something that is good for you, that is good for society, that's good for your family, that's good for your friends. Um, uh, if there's one thing I, I like to say a lot, um, it's V for veteran, not V for victim. And I want people, whenever they can, and I know it's hard, to take all that stuff that's in your head 
and try to channel it into something good. Um, and I believe it's possible. I've done it myself. It doesn't mean it's easy. It it does not mean you're going to do it once and have it be over. Again, it's that constant fork in the road. Um, but to me, it's it's almost like it's like practice, right? So if I have my experience and my memory in my head that's driving me and I see this fork in the road and my, my left fork is do something good, my right fork is do something bad, I think the more often you take the good fork, that then then the more often you're gonna take the good fork. It's just like practicing anything. It's practicing riding a bike. It's practicing driving a car. It's going to the gym and putting a little bit more weight on the bar each time. The more you do something in a positive way, the more you're gonna do something in a positive way. And so, eventually, if you take that fork in the road enough times that's on the good side and you walk that path enough hopefully that other path will you know to make an analogy kind of have some forest and some trees and some things grow over it and maybe you don't even see that bad path anymore because you've taken the good path so many times and i just want to add that of course we're looking more at this issue with veterans because that's your background phil but you know other people that have had traumatic experiences that have really affected their lives those words also apply and I know personally having to get past my fears which you know they're not completely well they're not gone at all let's put it that way but but you know that getting to a point where you can work with it you can move on you can live your life without it completely hindering you in some aspect it's also a very empowering feeling being able to look that in the eye and say you know what I'm not letting you get me I'm not letting you put stops on my life that potentially you could I'm not letting you hold me back so you know that empowerment is also a very important thing to keep in mind I would say well and everybody just needs to have like a small voice in the back of their head that goes you're not the boss to me exactly yes (laughs) so after talking about all this, and, and as we said, it is, it's a, such an important topic, what can our society do to make life better for people that have gone through traumatic experiences, especially on the veteran side? And I know that might seem like a huge question to ask, but you've been through it. I'm sure you've seen other friends go through instances where they've just had a really hard time. So what can the people that are around them, family, loved ones, friends, coworkers. Is there anything that we can do to make the experience easier or help? I think the biggest thing you can do is talk and listen and do not judge. Um, the, 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 the talking is really, really big. And it's once you can get somebody... Um, to start talking once you get a veteran to start talking just let them go just let them keep talking and um you know because a lot of people don't want to talk and so uh, once they can start the dialogue you know people can just do whatever they can to keep it going um and and understand that each person's experience is going to be their experience you know whether they you know served on a forward operating base and received kind of incoming fire one day and that affected them or whether they were with a special operations unit and they were out every day 
you know, in the hinterlands doing doing things. Um, it's all kind of uh, variable as to how that their specific situation affected them. So just try to engage our veterans. Try to talk to them. Once they start talking, just we'll listen as best you can. To conclude the talk, I always like to give our guests, when there's time permitting, which there is tonight, uh, a moment to maybe touch on something that we might not have or a final thought. So I'd like to hand it over to you, Phil. So the uh, um, as uh, as somebody who is uh, who grew up watching, there's a there's a film that was released in 1990 that probably a lot of people don't remember with Christian Slater called Pump Up the Volume. I don't know if you've seen that film. And there's a there's a great quote in the film that I enjoy uh, sharing with friends who who are around my age group where somebody writes the the main character a letter and asks if they're screwed up and the main character of christian slater you know says the following you you're an unscrewed up reaction to a screwed up situation feeling screwed up in a screwed up place in a screwed up time does not mean that you are screwed up and so i really i really enjoy that that phrase and uh i i think it kind of Kind of makes me chuckle a bit, but it also kind of hammers home that uh, that you know we w- we went somewhere and we did what we had to do, and we came back home, and now we've got uh, some thoughts in our head, and that's okay. Every everybody is, um, is a product of their experiences, but whenever we can, though it's tough, we really need to kind of turn turn those experiences into something good because if not. You know that those experiences will turn into a beast and the beast will just eat you alive if you allow it to well as you said talking is a great way to get things out and to get through things and for veterans there is a crisis line so there are people that are willing to listen and they're there to listen and they're there to help you through hard times and i'm just going to give you the phone number that's 1-800-273-8255 and there's also the VA's National Center for PTSD that has a great website that gives tips for people going through the post-traumatic stress disorder, also for family and loved ones that are trying to help their friends and loved ones through it. So I highly recommend going to that. It's got great resources. And I mean, if you're not a veteran and you've gone through something, honestly, talk to people, just like Phil said. And, you know, if that's not helping and you just need to talk to someone that can give you tools to work through it as well, highly recommend that because that really can give you ways of working with your mind and your thoughts and controlling them better. So a really good tool there. So take advantage of your local health professionals that deal with these things. And I mean, just thank you so much for writing this series, first of all, Phil, because like I said, it's very personal. So I highly recommend our listeners to read it. And once again, thank you for coming on the Loopcast. We love having you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me and, and for anybody out there who is, you know, still kind of coming to terms with their experiences. You know, you can do this. Uh, you, you can do this. I promise you can. It's not going to be easy, but you can figure this out. You have figured out worse things than this, and you will be able to figure this out as well. And that's the perfect way to end this show.